Welcome to Build Your Thing, the podcast where we help content creators find their unique creative voice, monetize their work, and build their tribe of loyal fans. I'm your host, Matt Jarrow, and in this episode, you are going to learn a four-step framework in order to market yourself the right way. Because let's face it, marketing can be hard, marketing can take a lot of time, and marketing is often the number one reason why people fail and why people succeed. All this brings me to my guest today. My guest today is Kellen Huntress. He's an American digital nomad living currently in New Zealand and has spent 10 years running an online business while traveling the world with his young family. Kalen is a marketing director, professional speaker, and business coach who helps entrepreneurs set up smart marketing systems. And he's just been releasing his new book, Marketing Yourself. And I couldn't be more exciting to bring Kalen on the show to talk about setting up your marketing strategy as a content creator. But not only that, since we are two productivity geeks and automation nerds, we are also going to talk about the creative process, how we actually went through writing the book, and well, I'm sure that you're going to pick up a lot of nuggets out of this episode. With that being said, Kalen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here. And first of all, congrats on releasing your new book, Marketing Yourself. Yeah, Marketing Yourself is a book I've been working on for... Uh, five years now. I started writing this book in 2018 and um, I really wanted it to be good. So uh, after a year and a half of editing, I stripped it down for parts and rewrote it. And uh, and I've been working on it for a long time and I've, I'm really happy to have it uh, complete and out there in the world. Yeah. So congrats. Like uh, I've been reading through the book um, and actually like it was very, very actionable. You have some testimonials actually talking about the actionability of the book. So certainly like uh, you've done a, an amazing job when it comes to that. So before digging deeper into like the philosophy, the cornerstones and everything that you're actually mentioning in the book, um, could you introduce yourself a little bit um, and give us some kind of a backstory of what you've been doing online for the past decade? Sure. Yeah, I'm an American digital nomad that's currently living in New Zealand. Uh, I left the States 10 years ago with my young family and uh, started uh, running a business for my laptop. Uh, I started as a website designer, and I found that I worked really well with a certain type of person, with authors, coaches, and speakers. That was my niche for a long time. And uh, and I found that you know these were people that I um, I really understood because of my background as a performer. I was an acrobat in the circus when I was young, and uh, I've done Shakespeare in the park dozens of times. And so the, the art of earning and maintaining attention is, is really integral to the work that I do in the world. And, and what a lot of people who are building a business or, or starting a brand or sharing a message that's based on their own personality, how they show up in the world is a delicate question, you know, because we don't want to show up with too much bravado and overwhelm people with noise, but we also can't be too quiet or nobody will hear us. And so I found that a lot of the work that I was doing with my clients migrated from let's build you a pretty website to let's figure out how to get you in front of the right people. Let's get you attention of the right kind and convert that attention into revenue that'll sustain your business. And through the work that I've done with these kinds of clients over the years, I've been you know, running a digital marketing agency called Stellar Platforms, and it's supported my, uh, my family and my lifestyle to travel around the world and run a business from a laptop. And everything that I've learned on that journey, I put into this book, Marketing Yourself. When I was reading through the book, like there were like all these, um, let's say, kind of diagrams, etc. So like it's it's... Like it's crystal clear that that have been, you know, a lot of thought that have been put in this process and also, you know, in, in actually establishing like all these four cornerstones and, you know, all the different processes that like that, that you see, like once you go through it. So, you know, I've been teasing about the four cornerstones. So please explain us what do you actually, you know, mean by the four cornerstones? Sure. Well, the, the four cornerstones are the four parts of this book. Um, it's, it's 16 chapters long and four chapters for each cornerstone. And the reason I call these sections cornerstones, Matt, is because of 
that's what holds up a personal platform. Anyone who has something to say and something to sell has a platform. And what I've found in the work that I've done with experts and entrepreneurs over the last decade is that there are four levels of platforms. And the first level is a soapbox. And anybody who has something to say can get up on their soapbox. But it's not until you have something to sell, Matt, that it becomes a commercial enterprise. And the second level of platform, that's a showroom. That's when your message is focused around the things that you have on offer and how people can buy from you. A showroom can support a lifestyle financially. But the problem with the showroom, Matt, is that a showroom has a ceiling. You can only fit so many people into a showroom. And so when you outgrow that, when you go from the four figures a year you're earning on the soapbox to the five figures a year that you're earning in the showroom, then when you want to break through to that six-figure level, that's where you go to the third level of platform, and that's the stage. And at the stage, you have to go to find other audiences where you can share your message. In the showroom, you're trying to bring everybody to you. And with the stage, you're going out to other audiences and your systems do the selling for you. And then the fourth level of platform, that seven-figure level, that's the stadium where your moves move the market. And all four of these platforms, these four levels of platforms, they've got different advantages and disadvantages, but they all rely on the same four cornerstones. There's what you say and what you sell. And those are the external cornerstones. Those are the, those are the ones that people can see when they're looking at you. But you have these two cornerstones near the back, Matt, and those are just as important. And those are your strategy and your systems. And if any one of these cornerstones is weak or cracked or lower than the others, your platform's always going to be leaning in that direction. That cornerstone is always going to be dominating your attention. And so if you had to look at your own platform, Matt, and you had to say, which one really needs my attention the most right now, you could probably identify it right away. Am I right? True. Which one is it for you? It's kind of a combination between different things. So I don't think that, you know, like what I found out is like, um, like the more you start practicing, the more you're getting, you know, market feedback and the more you're going to iterate, like, all, all the four parts, right? So let's say you start, let's say, with a kind of positioning and then, you know, you just, you know, start also, you know, uh, you know, cranking out content, um, creating products, see what resonates and then, you know, refining things down the road. So hmm. this this would be my answer to your question. So I don't know if it did answer your question perfectly, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's really common. Most people can say, yeah, it's it's this one and this one. It's my my positioning and my systems, or it's my profit and my strategy. Uh, some people they they've got a red burning hot problem in one of their cornerstones, and they know that it's always taking their attention. But at every level of platform, from the soapbox to the showroom, from the stage to the stadium, you need all four of these cornerstones. And so mm. the work that I do is is I help people build their cornerstones on top of one another so that you stack them. Once you get all of your cornerstones at the showroom level, if you want to get up to the stage, work on each cornerstone in turn. I like spending three months on one cornerstone of my business and just working on the strategy. And if there's some positioning that I want to do, I know I can put it off to next quarter when I'm working on that cornerstone in three months. And it helps give a structure to my business so that I have an, a sequence of things that I can work on as I grow. This is quite interesting. So um, like on one side, you mentioned that you actually need like the four cornerstones to be like on the same stage at the same time, right? But when working on them, it seems that you're not working on them at the same time so that you are actually, you know, working, let's say, as you just mentioned, let's say one quarter on the on the strategy and the other one on the positioning. So I'm kind of like um, the kind of person who like works on everything at the same time. So what's like, <laughs> what's your take on that? 
Well, it's good to work on everything at the same time to the degree that you need to polish all the cornerstones all the time. Mm -hmm. You don't want to neglect any of them for any length of time. But one of them can take a whole lot of extra attention for a short period. And what would be like a short period? Well, let's say three months, you know, like for, for three months, you can say, I'm just going to work on uh, my revenue. I'm going to increase my profit. And you can work hard on that for three months. If you get distracted with what your bio should say on your social media platform during that three months, it'll mm -hmm. decrease your capacity to take on that problem well. And so if you put off all of the positioning issues until the quarter where you're really focusing on positioning, it helps preserve your attention for what you've already decided matters the most. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. So it's all about optimizing your mental bandwidth and lowering actually the, the decision-making process, which takes a lot of energy out of you, either consciously or unconsciously, so that you can, you know, go all in on, let's say, on one specific thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's keeping your mindset focused in the right direction at the right time. You know, it's like that old saying, you can do anything you want, just not all at once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the way I think of this, Matt, and especially in terms of, of producing content, is that I like to separate thinking and doing. Because the thinking mindset, where you're trying to figure out what to post or what to write, that's very different than the mechanical mindset of actually posting it and putting in the tags and figuring out the featured image. And so I find it's best if you can if you can batch all of your thinking tasks together while you have your thinking cap on and then later put your doing cap on and do the doing. Exactly, That's, that makes perfect sense and this is also something that that I teach is that you know batch as much as possible. So when let's say if you're in a mental if you're in the mental mind state of actually creating something don't don't just create one piece of content create three four five pieces of content depending on actually what your yeah. what platform you're actually you know creating for right mm -hmm. yeah that's great i love that because if you're going to make one you might as well make 12 yeah <laughs> exactly and 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 the interesting thing is that you can not only apply that to let's say one specific piece of content but also let's say on one specific topic. So let's say you already, quote unquote, you know, um, charge your brain with information about, I don't know, like let's say positioning, right? Then you can just crank out, let's say, a lot of pieces of content just talking about positioning. You don't have to publish them right off the bat so that your audience also doesn't get annoyed, you know, you talking always about, about the same stuff, but you can, you know, schedule them. And you're also mentioning, you know, the scheduling part in your, in your book. So, yeah. Yeah, that's just efficient thinking. While you're while you have this concept in mind and you're working with it, creating a bunch of content that then you post serially later at different points in time. I love mm. that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, uh, so the other thing, like um, maybe to go a little bit back to to the question that you just asked, when it comes to let's say let's say like like let's just you know take a very practical uh, example here. So let's say I want to refine my positioning, right? So the thing is, let's say like we all start with the positioning, let's say with the North Star, like we want to serve this specific audience and help them overcome this specific problem. But like, how can you actually work, you know, like um, how, how do you actually structure the work when it comes to the positioning? Like, is it more about trying to, um, um, does it also in, in evolve, let's say, testing different angles or testing different uh, things on social media or, you know, on your newsletter and that kind of stuff and just try to refine it, refine it like that? Or like, what are actually the process that, that, that you use when you work on, on one specific uh, cornerstone? Like giving us obviously like, like, like the big picture because like the process will not be the same for positioning or for the systems, but, you know, just yeah. trying to give us some kind of uh, things that, that we can start with. Yeah, well, let's let's look at positioning from um, from the the thirty thousand foot level, and then mm -hmm. let's also look at it from the runway, really Perfect. close. And if we were going to look at it from uh, first from way up high, the the vision level, um, getting the feedback from the market is critical. L talking to your customers, listening to them moan about their problems, finding out what hurts and using their phrasing 
in your content. That's that's something I learned from Ryan Levesque. Uh, he wrote this book called Ask, the counterintuitive mm-hmm. method to find out what people really want. And yeah. he talked about how surveys give you this lens right into your customer's thoughts. Because when you ask them, what's the biggest problem you're dealing with with this topic? The way that they talk about it, it might not be the same way you talk about it. But when you, you reflect their own words back to them, it just attracts them over distance because they're like, that's exactly how I've been thinking about it. I need that too. And so from the the, the higher level, Matt, I think the, the way the market talks about their problem is something you've always got to be investigating because it might change from season to season. As, as things develop, they might change how they think about it. And the only way for you to know is to continually be talking to your customers and hearing them talk about their problems. But if we wanted to get really tactical, right, right down to the runway, I'd say what most people can do to improve their positioning is to work on their personal statement. And a personal statement is a distilled form of an elevator pitch, which is a paragraph that talks about who you are and what you do and why you're amazing. And it's traditionally the length of time that it takes to share an elevator ride with someone. That's why it's called an elevator pitch. It takes a minute, minute and a half. And during that time, you can say, this is what I do and the kinds of people I work with. But it's, it's wordy. It's, it's not distilled. It doesn't have just the essence. And so the, the personal statement, I'll share with you the best personal statement I ever heard. It was from a guy named Corey Huff. And I met Corey at Pioneer Nation in 2015. It was this conference for uh, online entrepreneurs and digital nomads. And, uh, and I, I bumped him into him in the conference hall and I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm Corey. I help artists sell their work online. Immediately, I knew who he was. I knew what he did. And I knew five people in my own personal network that I wanted to send to his website. The personal statement serves as a magnet to the right type of person. But it doesn't just bring that person, it brings the, it leverages the power of weak ties. Have you ever heard this phrase, Matt, the the power of weak ties? No. (laughs) This is a, there was a really interesting paper written by Mark Granovetter, and he, he talked about how most people don't get their next job because somebody in their network is hiring. It's someone who knows someone in their network, people who have weak ties, people who they don't talk to every few years or so, but you know, they're cordial enough when they bump into each other or they reach out on LinkedIn and Hey, it's been a while. Let's, let's catch up. People Mm -hmm. who have a lot of weak ties, they have access to an exponentially larger number of networks. And so if I'm looking for a job in aerospace engineering, and I Mm -hmm. talk to the 350 people I know personally and say, are you hiring for a job in aerospace engineering? The likelihood is pretty low. But if I ask all of them, do you know anybody who's hiring for a job in aerospace engineering? There's suddenly a much larger number of people that can be attracted by my message. And that's what a personal statement does, Matt, is it resonates not just through your own network, but through the networks of everyone in your network. That makes a lot of sense. Perfect. Um, the other, like, you know, let me just shift gear a little bit. When it comes to, um, like, reading your book, like, there is, like, a metaphor that I really enjoyed and I really wanted to, to I wanted to share this with, with the audience is that in your book, like, you mentioned, like, the, um, like, the junkie and the janitor. So can you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, w- I was sharing a story when I was in LA with uh, my three kids and my wife, and we were bumped from a, a flight again, uh, trying to cross the Pacific to get over to New Zealand, which is where we live now. And um, the there were these two mindsets at war inside of me in the airport, because my kids were hungry, and grumpy, and tired. And I knew that if I just went over and got the sandwiches at the vendor cart there in the airport, that it was really going to cause havoc with their delicate uh, stomachs. But if I had 
gone out to find a taxi, to go to a health food store, to get raw ingredients, to make them healthy and nutritious meals. It would have taken me so much time and energy and money would have been more expensive to do it the more healthy way. And so I had these two sides warring inside of me for what to do. And there was the junkie, the quick fix, do it now, let's fix this problem and solve it, get the sandwiches, let's do it right now side of me. And then there was the janitor. And the janitor has to go and clean up the mess later. And so I could have simply taken the sandwiches there and given them to my kids, but on that long flight across the Pacific when it finally came, they were going to be very unhappy and grumpy for most of the flight. But if I had listened to my inner janitor who said, boy, you don't want to be staying up overnight on that red eye, taking them to the airport bathroom again and again, you shouldn't do this because I'll have to clean it up later. This is the the war that happens in every customer when they're deciding whether or not to buy your thing. They've got an inner junkie and an inner janitor. And those two voices are going to debate whether or not this purchase is a good idea. There's the junkie, your heart, and there's the janitor, your head. Your rational self is going to come up with all these reasons why the purchase should or shouldn't happen. But it's often the gut. It's the the junkie inside, the emotional snap judgment that actually makes a buying decision. The janitor will come back later and clean everything up and justify rationally what the junkie decides to do in the moment. And this is there's some scientific studies I quote in the book that ran these psychological experiments to find that we make buying decisions emotionally and we justify them logically. So if you're trying to convince someone to buy from you, yeah, have the rational justifications ready. But when you need to ask the question where they make a buying decision, make it an emotional question. Because the emotions are ultimately what makes someone decide to buy. That makes a lot of sense. And like when I saw actually the the numbers um, you pull in in the and you quoted in the book when it comes to like research, like I was actually amazed because like I remember this you know the statement of that people you know buy based on emotions. Like it's I, I think it's one of the first thing you read when you just you know dip your toes into marketing and that kind of stuff. So I remember like you know hearing this statement, I guess, maybe 15 years ago, but without really actually knowing, like, how to actually approach this in a tactical step. And the thing is, like, what I really liked about the metaf- metaphor here, and this is why I wanted to, to bring this up, is that actually, once you understand that, let's say your audience, like, has this junkie and this janitor, like, you know, debating, um, uh, it actually helps you, you know, to just really start thinking about, well, how can I craft something um, that will, you know, um, actually make them pull the trigger, right? So do we have like some mm-hmm. tactical tips that we can actually apply when it comes to, you know, creating uh, compelling offers? Yeah. You know, if we're going to make an emotional appeal, Matt, we want to find out what emotions are at play. And so going back to what we were talking about earlier of asking your customer, Finding out how they feel about the problem is worth its weight in gold because the emotions that they are carrying regarding this problem, those are the emotions that you can appeal to in your copywriting. Those are the the emotions that you can uh, ask about when you're talking to a customer. You know, I, I hear that when you get up on stage in front of people and you fumble and you don't know what to say, that it makes you feel really nervous inside. Is that what you feel? How do you feel when you get up on stage? You know, like asking questions that bring those emotions out of people, it puts them in the place where they are faced with having that negative emotion again. And if they want to avoid that negative emotion, the best they can do, the best thing that they can do is pay you to solve the problem with whatever product or service that you have that keeps them from having to feel these negative emotions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So talking about copywriting, um, 
You mentioned in your book that swipe files are the secret to your success as a marketer. So tell <laughs> us a little bit more about like your swipe files, what's your process, how do you organize them? Since I'm kind of a on the geeky side of, you know, note-taking and building second brains and, you know, swipe files are actually a, a big part of, you know, any any marketer's um, marketing arsenal. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, swipe files are, um, they're just as practically useful as they are creatively interesting. Anytime I see something out in the wild that I think is clever and I think could inspire me in one of my projects in the future, I save it in a swipe file. Uh, if it's an image or a web page that I can screenshot, I'll, I'll stow it in a Dropbox folder and I organize um, all sorts of uh, folders in folders so that when I want to, you know, like uh, design a white paper, I can go and look at the best of the best white paper PDFs that I've saved over the years. And instantly I have inspiration. You know, I, I don't um, I don't copy and paste from any of them, but I notice how they uh, talk to their customer, how they structure the headings versus the subheads, how often they bring in testimonials. If, if I'm not thinking about those things, but then I have a variety of examples that I can review, it immediately gives me occasion to start thinking about those things. And I spent a lot of time um, this last decade working on email marketing campaigns. I love email. I have more than 150 different email addresses that all go to one inbox and I have about 700,000 unread emails in there because I manage a lot of websites and get a lot of notifications. So I don't read them all, but I get this big sea of noise. And what I love doing, Matt, is I love sifting through this sea of noise in the morning while I'm having my first cup of coffee. And the things that stand out in that sea of noise, I know they're good because there are so many different distractions and competitions for my attention. And so I just add a label in Gmail to every one of these subject lines that is able to stand out in that sea of noise. And some mornings there's two or three and some days there's none. But because I've been doing this for years, I've collected this catalog of email subject lines that got my attention. And every year on the Stellar Platforms blog, I've I've shared that list of the the subject lines that stood out for me. And, so, and I make a silly award show out of it. When somebody's on the list uh, more than once, they get an award. And the person who's on the list the most time gets first place. And so every year for the last four or five years, there's, you know, like I've, I've been able to reach out to people who I admire and say, hey, you won first place in my annual subject lines competition. Congratulations. <laughs> and started some relationships that way. But it, what's great, Matt, is I have this tag on the Stellar Platforms blog, so I can just scroll through and read five, 600 email subject lines. So if I'm stumped and I want to know what's a good subject line that can get somebody's attention, I've got a huge list that I can swipe from. That's a very smart way to start building relationship, right? So on like your, it's like, you know, killing one bird with the uh, two, two birds with one stone, right? So like on the, on, on one side, you're just, you know, improving actually your marketing game. But at the same time, it actually helps you also, you know, reach out and have that kind of a legit reason and, and not just like the reason of, you know, can I pick your brain or that kind of stuff. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, what I found is that, uh, you know, since I focused on authors and um for uh, the web design portion of my career, uh, I found it was really effective to just do a book review. If I wanted to get in touch with somebody, I would read their book. I'd take a photo or make a video talking about what I thought about it and share it with them. And instantly they were happy to hear from me. And th think about it, how somebody, if somebody reached out this way to you, Matt, somebody said, Hey, I've, I've read your work and I've made something creative out of it because it was meaningful to me. And they presented it to you as a gift. If they said, Hey, can I pick your brain? Wouldn't you be more apt to, to agree and talk to them rather than if they just, you know, came at you out of nowhere <laughs> obviously obviously i I, re I really like that so going back to to your swipe files so um it's actually you know going back to to the concept of you know never start from scratch and that like everything that you're going to you know either your ideas or the content that you're going to produce um actually come from somewhere right so i like to say that you know like you have like this 
this saying between uh, developers, which is like garbage in, garbage out, right? So it's all about, you know, first curating your um, your 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 intake and knowing actually what you're consume what you're consuming so that you can create interesting content out of that. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to piggyback a little bit about your, you know, the process of actually like uh, your swipe file. Is that like one of the interesting things that 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 I found is like I was doing like the same the same the same thing like you. It's let's say I would find an interesting book cover or I would find let's say an interesting um, landing page or sales page. So what what I have been doing for years is actually you know dumping it into a folder. The the problem that, that I that I found with that is that first so, like one of the best ideas come actually when you when you combine different things between them, right? So mm-hmm. what if let's say you could combine let's say this specific color that you found on this specific let's say cover like book cover or or podcast artwork and with let's say this kind of specific headline that that you found let's say in this report and you know coming up with something like that so this is why like with the right now i've been reorganizing my swipe file like from scratch is actually just dumping all my different swipe files into one specific folder right and then you know just tagging them based on when i want to retrieve them right and i just found like getting inspiration like that you know in in varying actually your your source of inspiration actually lead to to way better results like the the you know like the the thing just you know just trying saving things in into separate folders actually never worked for me so i don't know like if you want to 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 give this approach a try maybe you have too many files to 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 play with but you know you can just maybe you know try this out for for yourself too and and see and see where it leads you it's a neat idea matt there's this uh there's this author i really like named cole fink and he says that it's at the intersection of ideas that new ideas emerge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think of when I think of the big mess of the unified folder of everything in the swipe file is that you get this um, this variety of sensation that would, that would cr- create all sorts of new things. But I think it would have to be combined with some sort of filtering or tagging system so that you can, uh, you know, make everything go away except for landing pages, let's say, or, you know, email campaigns or whatever it is. I think Airtable is really good for this. I've been geeking out a lot on Airtable, which is a database display tool that lets you um, collect a whole lot of different types of information and then share it dynamically different based on all sorts of criteria that you provide. So that's the first thought I had with, you know, like if we were to make one big folder and keep it sortable, you know, some sort of tool like Airtable might do it. Yeah. So like there are are like different tools that that, that you can use. And obviously, like, as as I mentioned, like there are going to be some tags probably related to the source, the author and that kind of stuff. So you can, you know, filter and strip every everything away that, that you don't want. But like how I'm using it, because like I like to have everything centralized because it makes like everything so, mu- so much easier. It's like I, I like to dump everything into Obsidian, right? And then, you know, mm-hmm. just linking to the specific... Uh, to the specific swipe files also related to specific ideas, right? So let's say I have, let's say I came across a great idea in your book. Um, I'm going to distill this into my note-taking system. And then, you know, I may just, you know, check out my swipe file and, and, and you just think about, well, what does this actually make me think about? Or how could I, let's say, illustrate this idea based on illustrations that I over uh, that I already saved into my into my vault and you know, mm-hmm. coming up with with um, with uh, you know with new ideas, with new way of actually expressing the ideas and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My my daughter uses Pinterest as her swipe file because that's just mm-hmm. the tool that works the best yeah. for her. And I, there's a a guy named uh, Corey Haynes. He does SwipeFiles.co, and he just came out with this app that I test drove last week called SwipeWell. And boy, mm-hmm. that's really neat. It's a it's a Google Chrome extension, so that you can hop over and say, "I like that landing page," and hit a button and type in the tag, and boom, it's in your SwipeWell app. It's really neat. That's great. That's great. Perfect. So. Kayla, right now I want to shift gears again a little bit when it comes to um, actually the the creation process, right? So you mentioned that you've been working on this book for five years. And well, um, like I can actually relate to like, I didn't, I did, I did like, I did not like write a book for four or five years, uh, but, you know, I can certainly, you know, um, uh, show some empathy when it comes to 
like all the work and, and like how much mental bandwidth it, it actually takes from you. Um, and there was like, like a really interesting thing that I noticed when, when, when reading your book is that um, inside your book, obviously um, you are redirecting people to, to your, to, to your, uh, to your website, but not only that, you are actually giving or selling um, work, workbooks related to um, the specific chapters. So immediately, you know, as being someone who is like trying, you know, always to to be on top of the game when it comes to productivity and how to actually work smarter. Um, the interesting thing is that what I found like is, let's say your book is structured around uh, the four cornerstones, right? And then the workbooks that you're selling are actually, um, you know, more quote unquote detail, uh, more detailed versions of those um, for uh, different cornerstones. So you're going down the rabbit hole um, of let's say positioning. Well, um, you have the first. You have obviously obviously the, the chapter that's talking about the positioning, but then you also have like specific workbooks that tackle every specific aspect of positioning. So can you? Explain us a little bit, like what was the thought process, and how did you organize yourself when it comes to um, um, to, to to all these components? Sure. Yeah the uh, the workbooks are um, they're they're artifacts that I'd created during my work at Stellar Platforms. Uh, I've worked with so many uh, experts and entrepreneurs who needed the same set of things, you know, a website, email marketing campaign, landing pages, lead magnets, that sort of thing that I, that because I'm an automation geek like you, I, I built systems to produce these assets quickly. And so these workbooks were already in place. I've actually got, you know, 20 or 30 more than I used for this book. But the way that I organized the book, Matt, was... Uh, one workbook for every chapter. So the, in the cornerstone workbooks, there's a, a call to action workbook, a free consultation worksheet, uh, a customer avatar workbook, a competition research workbook. There's a, there's just a bunch of them for all the different cornerstones. And when I wanted to create this book, I, I divided up these workbooks and I arranged them in a way that I thought kind of made sense, where I had all the systems workbooks together and all of the uh, uh, the positioning workbooks together. And then I said, okay, I have to write an article on every one of these topics. What topic of an article could lead to a customer journey work workbook? What topic could lead to uh, uh, the value ladder workbook? And so I started writing those articles and publishing them in my newsletter. You know, like like everybody, I've got a weekly newsletter and I've been writing it for uh, 15 years. Some pe people have been on my list for a while. I, I started blogging in 2003, Matt. And so I've been a pro prolific writer online for a while, mm. but I've never published a book because I always knew if I published a book, I can't go back and edit it like I can with a WordPress blog post. Mm -hmm. So I really yeah. need to make sure that it's good. So, uh, But because I'm a blogger, I wrote this book like a blogger. And every chapter started as an article in my weekly newsletter. And then after I published it in my newsletter, I'd syndicate it to Medium and I'd publish it on my blog post and I'd put it as a LinkedIn article. And I got all these, uh, these content assets out of repurposing the article. And I also got to watch for audience feedback. I got to see which articles got the most likes or the most comments and which ones didn't get any views. And so that mm -hmm. gave me some real practical market research on what resonated with my audience. And with the original draft of this book, there were 24 chapters. And it was, so it was longer. It was, it was like a, about 50,000 words and I, I've cut it down to 40 now. But the, the, the first draft I wrote back in 2018, I wrote during something called NaNoWriMo. This is National Novel Writing Month. Every November, uh, authors around the world get together and work on word count. And if you're writing a fiction book, you try and get to 50,000 words during the month of November. And if you're writing a nonfiction book, you try and get to 30,000 words, which is 1,000 words a day. And so the way that I wrote this, Matt, is I wrote an article a day of about a thousand words until I had enough to make a manuscript. And then after testing these individual articles with the, the market, I could see which ones resonated and which ones I could cut. 
And so I cut the ones that didn't really resonate. They were mostly on on selling and freelancing and how to manage a sales conversation. So I still have a lot of valuable content there that I might turn into a book someday, but it wasn't the right book for this project. And what I was left with was 16 chapters that each had their own accompanying medium article and their own accompanying workbook. And I recently finished making a video for each one of these chapters. And when I collected the workbooks and the videos together, I put them into a, uh, into a product that's on the marketingyourselfbook.com website. And every chapter ends with the the call to action that if you want to get this workbook to take this chapter's lessons deeper, then go get the cornerstone workbooks and I'll give you all the ones that I got. But when I built this mat, I didn't make it to be like a big prescriptive map that you have to follow step by step because I know in the work that I do that the building your platform is more like a choose your own adventure style book than it is a, a start to finish. You know, you, you, you got to work on the parts that are most relevant to you right now. And so I built the, the cornerstone workbooks so that you can dip into it, work on the corner of your platform that you know needs attention, and then get back to the, to the rest of your work. Because marketing shouldn't take all of your time. Your marketing is something that you need to do and fix and automate so that you can get back to doing your real work. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. So like the the approach is very is very very interesting and I think like one of the like I really enjoyed reading this book and I'm not saying that just, you know, just to sugarcoat you because you're because you're on the show and like one of one of the factors is that it's, it was actually easy to read. Right, and I think this goes actually back to you know um, because like the articles are just structured uh, like a blog post, and yeah, just give, let me just give you a big thumbs up for that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's, I've I've learned so much about writing from having to keep people's attention in a, a crowded email box because mm-hmm. in your in your inbox there's so many different. Um, items competing for your attention, that if you're going to stand out in a subject line or hook your reader in the first couple of sentences so that they'll scroll down and read the rest of your email, that sort of skill transfers really well to writing books because, you know, marketing is just about earning and maintaining attention. And it turns out that in books, that comes in really handy to keep people reading from chapter to chapter. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Because there is like no point of people, you know, buying your book and then, you know, dropping off after the first chapter. Yeah. 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 And do you have any resources? Um, like how did you actually master the, the craft of actually keeping, uh, people's attention first earning and then keeping them obviously. Well, the way that I learned how to do it, Matt, I wouldn't recommend for everybody. Um, I juggle flaming torches and Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) Because I started my career in the circus, it got me this perspective on uh, street performance of how people's attention is so fickle. And where you try and earn their attention is often more important than the skills you have or the Mm -hmm. message that you're sharing. Um, I was a a street musician for a long time, and I I hitchhiked across North America playing an acoustic guitar. And um, if I took that guitar to a freeway on-ramp, to play some music and put my hat on the ground while somebody's accelerating, trying to get to 60 miles an hour, I'm not going to get their attention because their focus is elsewhere. But where I did really well as a street musician was small tourist towns because people in a tourist town are looking for something interesting. They have time on their hands. And so it's real easy for me to show up and share my message and get attention in a place where the audience was open to it. And so the most practical thing that I could advise, Matt, for a a content creator that's looking to get new clients is to find out where do these clients congregate? Where do they get together? Who do they look up to as a resource when they want to learn something? And if you can find that community and show up and to be of service to that community, then it's going to be really easy to earn customers. There's an architect I know who does no marketing 
because he doesn't need to. He teaches a class at a community college for realtors who need continuing education credits. Realtors have a license that they have to renew with continuing education every year, showing that they study things like architecture law a little bit in their in their off time. And one of the ways they can do it is they can take this community college class, which my friend, the architect, teaches for, you know, like it's much less the community college salary than what he makes as an architect. But what he gains there, Matt, is he gains the trust of dozens of realtors every semester. And every six months, another class graduates from his community college class. And all those realtors now know an architect that they've spent time with and they've gotten to know and they've laughed at his jokes. And so when one of their clients who buys houses says, hey, I need an architect, who do you know? Who do you think this realtor is going to refer? It's going to be this architect who doesn't do any marketing because he found Mm -hmm. a way to serve his audience directly. I like that because this is like all about, you know, working smarter. It's not about, you know, throwing more yeah. more money on paid advertising or, you know, things that may or may not work. It's just, you know, good common sense and, you know, simple ideas. So I really, really like that. Yeah, it's just about staying close to your customer. Yeah. A exactly. lot of the marketing work all- that we do, Matt. I, I feel like we we sometimes do busy work in marketing mm-hmm. to keep us away from having to have an actual conversation with a customer because mm-hmm. then we're going to talk about money and it'll get uncomfortable and they might say no. But that distance that we get through procrastination, it blinds us to what the customer actually wants. And a lot of times customers are happy to talk with you if you just ask them, if you just show up and share something valuable that they would find that would improve their life, then it's really easy to transition that into a a non-pressure conversation about how to do business together. Yeah, it's it's all about, you know, um, things that I say a lot. It's like, you know, so many people treat, let's say, their email, their email list as just, you know, a new a new row in a in a in a spreadsheet, right? But behind every row is actually a a real person with with real problems. Obviously, not all will be at the same level when it comes to, you know, the pain and the urgency and the desire actually to solve the problems, but some of them will. And as as you just mentioned, your job is just, you know, showing up and sharing something valuable and then, you know, get them on the phone, talk to them, you know, just having having a genuine conversation, just understand the others, um, like the other person's view and um, where they're actually at and what they want to accomplish and then just building the bridge with an offer. Yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing that I wanted to to talk about with you is like you mentioned that you were suffering from chronic fatigue due to an autoimmune disorder. So how do you actually you know um, stay quote unquote productive or how do you manage your day in order just to you know balance between life and and business? Well, I'm a productivity nerd, Matt. I. I I'm an American. I've got a big work ethic and I want to work really hard. And when I moved to New Zealand, I nearly worked myself into the grave. Uh, I fell Mm -hmm. deathly ill and my wife nursed me back to health, but I emerged from it with chronic fatigue. So I can't work hard through a problem anymore. Because if I push my body too hard, then I could lose days to being bedridden because I'm too tired to get out of bed. And so Mm -hmm. it's made me, uh, it's forced me to have a much more holistic relationship with my body and my work. And since I've been a productivity nerd for so long, I, I have measured my time in 15 minute increments for the length of my career. Just for my own productivity, I measure how much time I spend working on this client or that task so that I can review every week. How much time am I spending doing this and doing that? And if I want different results, I just know that I have to change the amount of hours. If I'm not not making the money that I want, I need to put more time into sales. If I'm uh, not producing enough content, I need to put more time into writing. And so that uh, oversight over how I spend my time has been really helpful, Matt, because I, I can A, make better strategic decisions about how to spend my time. But B, it's also given me a really practical method of changing how I work because I've got at most five good hours in a day. 
Mm-hmm. I can't work more than five hours in a day because my, you know, I'll, I'll just disintegrate. And so it's made me ruthless with my priorities. If I'm going through a relapse and I don't have the energy, then I have to be really sure that what I spend time on is the right thing for me to spend time on. Because I might be done working at 1030. And if it turns out that I only have an hour and a half today, what's the most important thing that I have to do? If I had to say no to everything else and I could only say yes to one thing, that clarity has helped me focus on what matters most in my business. And that's the gift of my illness, Matt, is it's gotten me closer to my purpose. I really love that. So there are like, there's like so many wisdom and, and I really love the mindset here is that, you know, you have to actually sometimes have some constraints in order just to get the right things done. And once you understand actually the, actually the cost of opportunity and that your energy, your time, your money, everything is just not unlimited, then actually you just start putting some constraints and actually really asking yourself the question that matters is that, does this really matter or is it just like busy work? So Kaylin, I've been really enjoying the conversation. And before wrapping up this call, is there anything that you want to add? Yeah. Um, if any of your listeners would like to read the first chapter of my book, they can go to marketingyourselfbook.com. And there's a, I, there's a button there for free chapter. And if you subscribe to my weekly Stellar Platforms newsletter, I'll send you the free chapter, which is about the personal statement. And, I'll, and in that chapter, I share the formula that you can use to create your own personal statement. And that's at marketingyourselfbook.com. So I definitely would encourage everyone who's been struggling with their positioning, etc., to simply pick up the first chapter of the book, because it's going to give you much more clarity. Kale and I appreciate the conversation, wishing you all the best. And well, I hope to collaborate with you soon in the future. Thanks so much, Matt. I really enjoyed this conversation. Have fun out there. All right. So hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Kaylin Huntress, the author of the book, Marketing Yourself. Grab your free first chapter on the website. I'm going to link uh, to everything in the description. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode. And if you are a content creator who wants to just improve his productivity game, also don't hesitate to check out my email newsletter. So I'm sending out a daily email with an actionable tip in order just to help you improve your productivity game as a content creator. Again, all the links are in the description. And with that being said, I see you there.